right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Stories from Mountain Town. This is your host, Tyler. And today, via Zoom, all the way from Minnesota, I have Emma Backus with me. Emma, welcome. Hi, thank you. Awesome. Um, Emma, tell the nice people uh, who you are and what you do and all that good stuff. Yeah. So as Tyler mentioned, I am Emma. I'm from Minnesota and I am a registered dietitian. I currently work um, a little bit in the clinical space, but also growing my private practice. Um, That's called Back to Basic Nutrition. And I'm trying to bring, as the name says, going back to the basics of nutrition, bringing the power back to food. Certainly. Yeah. And uh, Back to Basics is how we know each other. You are the most recent addition to the client list from Rural to Mini Marketing. Got to throw the plug in there. Where's the light? Yeah. There. Shameless um, plug. We're, do, we're helping you out with some social media stuff. And eventually as things go on, probably get into some Google ads and some other fun stuff to help you out. Yeah. That was something that I wanted to say adios to as yeah. I got going bigger and bigger and I just needed to be done with the social media. So they yeah. took over. Yeah. It's been interesting to me as my business has been going, the different value props that we, we uh, present to different businesses. Like for you, it was totally just offloading that, that work for you, right? Like you, you had a good handle on it. You knew what you were doing fully and you grew a good audience on your own, but it's just that offloading that work where with other clients, they're like, I have no fucking clue how to do anything on social media. Like I need your expertise, even though even if they have the time, they don't know what to do. Right. And then there's others where it's like, I kind of know what to do, but I don't like it. So mm-hmm. it's like you, you do it because you seem to like it. You know, there's all the, there's like three different value. There's like three different value stories that we end up telling based on what we hear from people we're talking to. Right. Definitely. Um, and what, what inspired you to go out on your own and start back to basic? Yeah, that's a great question. Partly the pandemic, the job market. I, so I passed my exam in August of last year, um, in the middle, kind of in our first lull. And then as like September, we all, we upticked and no healthcare system was hiring number one, because their budget crashed. Mm -hmm. Nobody could afford to hire another dietitian. And number two, nobody was really taking on new stuff that they didn't need to because of the COVID-19 pandemic, bringing another body into the hospital or in a clinic setting. Most clinics or a lot of clinics were closed and I needed to do something. I had this awesome partnership already with Anytime Fitness in my area. And they were like, Hey, like, why don't you just start seeing our clients? And as seeing their clients grew, I was like, maybe I should just do this for myself and see clients outside of Anytime Fitness as well. And that's kind of how it grew um, and, and started. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you, it's kind of a different mindset to go from like, you know, you went to college and you got your degree in this stuff. And, and most of the mindset when you're going for most people going to college is like, I'll work for another company doing this thing that I have interest in and, and like to do. And then it's a little bit of a switch to go from now I want to run a business that does the thing where, and then if it, if it works out, like for both of us, we'll both, we'll stop doing the thing we started the company to do and end up running the company instead, right? Because if your company grows, you'll, you'll be a little bit less of day-to-day with clients and more running the business, managing your people, that kind of thing. And that's kind of what my goal is too. So it's a funny dynamic where 
you you go out on your own, all this pressure, you jump off, and then the goal is to not do the thing you started the company for. Right? Yeah. And, and maybe and then maybe sell it and you really not really aren't doing it anymore, something like that. So it's kind of a funny dynamic. Yeah, it is it is for sure. It's way different. People like look at you like I didn't know that dietitians had their own business. Yeah. And in 20 years ago, nobody did, but it's now it's the new trending thing. And I want to be on the front end of it. Yeah. It's definitely way easier than ever before to start any business you need, especially a service-based one, like, like both of ours, where like, we don't need to buy supplies. We don't need like an investment. We don't need a lot of upfront cash to really do anything because I mean, like the investment was your college, both of our colleges, the, 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 your supply or whatever is in here. Right. So it's so easy where if you just can get an audience, get some relationships, some word of mouth and start to spread it out. Um, you can, you can really quickly have a successful business out of nothing basically. Yeah. I think that was one, as I started looking into going this route, that's one thing I realized that like maybe actually wasn't a ton of work just to get it all mm -hmm. somewhat set up and start yeah. seeing clients. So that made it a little bit easier to like jump in as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like the heart, Alex and I went through that where like the hardest part for us was like picking our name and like picking up a, like a pricing structure. Cause we did all this research. We're like, all right, what are the big marketing firms calling themselves? And they would all create a word that like made you feel something, you know, like, Google is a fake word. There's all these words like this where it, it, it makes you feel like happiness and trust and all this shit because they take like parts of other words and put it together. We're like, we can't come up with that. We've tried like, you know, North, you know, up North marketing or like summit market, like all these like words that would like kind of tie into where we lived. We're like, no, that's like nothing feels right. And then I saw a, I saw a commercial or a TikTok or something where they're talking about how there's still a lot, like how much value there is in um, naming your company, like your last names or your last mm -hmm. name and all these really cool companies, really big companies that are just last names that started like forever ago, you know, like Johnson and Johnson, um, Sam's club, Walmart, like they're all parts of these names that they, you think now they're just a the brand. They're just a, a name that they came up with, but it was like part of their name. One of our other cl clients, um, is Don Lar Construction. People, the guys who started it were a guy. It was a guy named Don and a guy named Larry. So they put together and made a Don Lar Construction. It's as easy as that. <laughs> yeah, and you have a really good purpose for your name too, because that's your whole thing. It's bringing back to bringing it back to the basics of food and giving food more power. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to do. And actually, my last name is Bacchus. So yeah, I thought maybe yeah. I was like going to try to do the whole Bacchus thing, but it just turned in the back to basic nutrition. And I ran with that. Yeah. People could draw the connection and still like, if like down the road, when you're, you know, when you're the queen of nutrition, like, yeah, it'll be like, Oh, cause that's like kind of her name too. It's that's fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, we, a and, it down, and it also comes down to the idea of like, people aren't, if they're in a buying decision with you they're or us, they're, they're not going to buy or not buy because of what name we have in the business. Right. Yes. Like if they're talking to you, they're going to either buy or not buy from you because of, you know, price or because of what they think you want to can do for them. And same with us. Like if we can grow your business, they don't give a shit what our name is. <laughs> right. I don't, yeah. Exactly. I'd like to draw some attention to this mug I'm drinking out of. 
So this is um, Taylor's senior senior pictures from high school. So she's the nice. same age as me. And her mom had it at her house. And whenever I go over there, I'm like, Debbie, I need that mug. And then need- Debbie gave it to me for Christmas one year. So <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mugs are one thing. So I'm, I'm typically like the, you know, technology, like the new thing, the, the nice thing, like that kind of stuff, like, you know, synthetic materials, all that, all that good stuff. I'm on the front end of that. But coffee mugs are something that I will, I, it's the only thing in the world where I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute or that's kind of fun. Let me get this random ass shitty coffee mug, right? Like this is just a, one of the porcelain ones. Like it's nothing special. And I have like this other one where there's a, there's a, 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 a road near me called Teton Pass and it goes over the Tetons and people ski there. And it says ski Teton Pass. And then it has a picture of a guy, like a really crappy painting of a guy skiing <laughs> with his dog and the dog like kind of looks like one of my dogs. So I was like, Oh, that's fun. I'll get that. You know? I'll get that. There's yeah. Like some things like that, that, do, that does it for me. I just got a new mug from Nut Pods, the creamer. And it says, Ooh, I got my plug. sip. Got to get that yeah. plug in. A shameless, another shameless plug, Nut Pods creamer. They just came out with their sweet in line. Yep. But um, it says, I got my sip Use code together. back to basic nutrition. Is that it? Yes. That's the code back to basic nutrition. If you want to order. Yep. You can find them. Um, they are starting to be in retail stores, Coburn's um, in central Minnesota. I think Walmart um, carries some too. Not the sweetened line yet, but the sweetened sweet cream is my favorite. I just had it this morning. All right. Shameless plug over. <laughs> There's a, they got, I got my sip together, but it's, it's a, it's one of the glass ones. So mm. I know Target has been selling the new glass mugs or, or see-through mugs. You can, froth it you can see all your hard work and the yeah. creamer trickle through and that's that I sometimes just like look at it and just wait <laughs> wait for all the creamer to flow through that's awesome does does nut pods what do they what do they make their stuff out of it's almond it's a blend of almond milk and coconut milk mm-hmm. and they do actually have a line of oat milk ones now for those who are nut free mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, um, as a dietitian, what, what's kind of your, I don't know, stance or opinion on like those alternative milks versus like a classic, like dairy milk? Yeah. Some dietitians have a really, really strong opinion either way. Um, I actually follow one who is really connected to agriculture and she does a lot of education around actually how the milk is tested for antibiotics and things like that. And and the safety measures. And then I have a few dietitians who really push for the plant-based milk. My personal stance is whatever is working for you. So me personally in my life, I'm lactose intolerant. I can never drink skim milk and be okay for the rest of the day. And so I needed to make the switch to almond milk. I do like almond milk for my cereal. I like soy milk for my coffee. So I'm kind of all over the place. Pea milk has a little bit more protein. So if you're still in your growing stages and you do need a different plant-based milk, I would suggest something with a little bit more protein because milk naturally has more protein. But if milk works for you, drink the milk. I'm, it It's a healthy source of calcium and protein, relatively cheap. I think that that's something we dietitians 
general population end up creating food fear around is when they're like, don't drink milk, but milk is a cheap option for a lot of families to make sure they get nutrients in. Mm -hmm. So if that's what's working for you and your family, keep doing it, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like coincidentally or people are just talking about it more, but it seems like a lot more people are lactose intolerant, or at least that I know I'm knowing more people that are lactose intolerant than when I was like a kid. Like when I was a kid, everybody hammered milk. Like, yeah. like the two, 1% was like every meal you had milk. It wasn't like water when, when, where, whereas now, like occasionally I have cereal or occasionally, you know, maybe put it in like a protein shake. If I'm like, like I go through these stages where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to like bulk up a little bit. So I'll go get some whole milk and, you know, use that in protein shakes. But I like never, I like never drink any milk. It's always just like water at meals or. Yeah. Some of that is how actually like the lactase enzyme works. So when you get older, as evolution has happened, humans have been able to produce lactase through their entire, I don't know, human existence, but we actually weren't designed to drink milk all the way into our adulthood. So people's lactase enzymes just like run out, which is why all of a sudden, like people hit 20 and they're like, I'm lactose intolerant now. And you're like, last year. I saw you hammer an ice cream pail. Like, no, you aren't. And (laughs) that could be some of the reason too. All of a sudden people are realizing a little bit more that they can't process it as well as they used to be able to. Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense, right? Because like dairy milk is produced by cows to make the the baby, the calves grow Mm -hmm. quickly and get nutrients really early. Um, And same with like breastfeeding babies for humans, like, there's a reason that after a while, like human moms, they stop lactating themselves because at that point, like their babies don't really need it anymore. They go on and start eating regular foods. So it's like the reverse, but the same concept of like, if that's when biologically humans stop producing milk, why would it make any sense to continue to drink milk after that in any sort of like, like large capacity? Right. Right. Because like, I think I heard that somebody on like Joe Rogan say that, um, or no, it was maybe, have you seen Cowspiracy? Mm, well, I've not watched it. I know what it is though. Yeah. It'd be a good one to watch. I've got a couple documentaries that we'll, we'll run through in a second, but <laughs> Cowspiracy, I think they mentioned like, cause the whole thing is they're trying to get people away from like, um, eating cows and drinking milk and going like all vegan and shit. Um, they said like cow milk is only meant like perfectly formulated by the cow to make calves grow like not to make humans grow it's super calorie dense it's got a lot of other shit that like if you drink a ton of it and don't have a great like exercise or like activity level like you can get you can gain weight really with really quickly because it's not it's just meant to pack on pounds so that they can become a viable cow right Mm -hmm. not not a viable human when you're in your freaking 20s or something right right Right. That's, that's why, I mean, we've obviously uh, gone towards like the skim milk push and, and things like that. That's yeah. take, if everybody was drinking whole milk, yeah, we would have definitely an issue. Yeah. I love whole milk. A lot of people think whole milk is gross because it just is like thicker and like tastes, it does like more of a flavor. But when I was in college, I played football and like, you see me now, like this is, I'm like 190 right now. And I kind of live at this weight. Like I'm just a slender dude. But I tried to play, t- I wanted to play tight end in college. So I had to really bulk up. I was like drinking like whole milk 
in my, sh- in my protein shakes with like the protein powder and then eating Chipotle, like, like three times a week, just for the calories. But it is really good at gaining weight and help you gain weight. If you want to do that. A hundred percent. Yes, exactly. And which is why when you transition babies or infants off of your human milk, you would go to whole milk because of that reason. And it provides fat and protein. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is good when people, I think that people who like whole milk, like thought, think skim milk is disgusting and then vice versa. Like if you started to grow up on skim milk and you would try whole milk again, you would be like, what I'm drinking straight cream. Yeah. <laughs> this is just melted butter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Definitely. I've been into, if we're going to keep on this milk thing, I've been into, um, cashew milk is the mm. one that Taylor gets a lot. And I don't know how they do it, but it's like, it's where like almond milk just seems like white water that has like a touch of flavor. Cashew milk is a little bit of creamier, a little bit creamier, a little more of that, like kind of creamy flavor. And that's been my, that's, it, that's been the most common thing in our fridge. But Taylor's cashew. totally on that alternative milk, alternative dairy thing. She has like, I don't, she might be a little bit lactose intolerant, but it's not too bad, but she has like cashew milk, almond milk, oat creamer, this creamer, that creamer, like it's anything but cow dairy. Well, we have cheese, but all these other liquids are like creamers and things for her coffee. It's all alternative stuff. Yeah. I would say I would more people, especially our age and a little bit younger are trending towards that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. It's good that there's people like you that are saying whatever is, whatever works for you. Right. Because so much, so often right now, for some reason, and we're kind of, it's kind of human nature where we're um, binary thinkers, humans are. So it's either this or that. And the other thing is evil. That's it. Like, that's all we know how to think. Um, So it's either like the narrative is either like you're either a vegan or you're a carnivore diet. Like there's no in between, like, there's no, I like, like meat works for me, but I also eat a lot of vegetables. There's no like, Oh, meat doesn't work that great, but I eat chicken and eggs and stuff because I, that, that helps me. It's just like, you know, it's, it's so extreme where it's like people are being taught. It's either you're all, all in almond milk, all alternative milks or all dairy milk. It's not like, yeah, whatever one you want, like there's benefits to all of them, like use them where you need them and whatever. Like there's, there's, we need more voices like you. Yeah. I think the biggest place where that comes in for me is I sometimes work with some low income clients. And so me telling them like almond milk, like that's, that's just not realistic. And for a lot of like a, you sound like such like a LA hipster nutritionist when you're like, okay, kale and almond milk guys. Yes. And they're like, well, I can't afford either. So I'm just going to stick to my whatever. And that's not my point. Um, But yeah, I think that we need more people on all levels for more things than just milk that say like, it's okay to do both or it's okay to use what works for you. Definitely. Yeah. That's something when I, when I, when I'm like really trying to cheat on like my diet and like really get bad, I go and buy like Captain Crunch. That's like my, that's really, that's when I'm really being bad. (laughs) And I walk down the cereal aisle and I'm like, all of this shit is so bad for you. And it's all like $2, right? Like, how does that work? Where I walk down, you know, you're in the produce section and it's like $2 for a pepper or like 150 for a pepper. And that's, those are Jackson prices. So that's kind of inflated, but 
but then you go and like it's like a dollar fifty or two dollars for like the family size Captain Crunch, and I'm like, no wonder we all are getting diabetes and being overweight because it's all probably like subsidized, right? Yeah, a little bit of that. We there's actually been more of a push recently to include um, fresh foods from like with SNAP or WIC benefits, so that families have access to more than just that. Um, you know, the processed foods and things like that. I also think that the commercial commercialization of all of this stuff, I mean, there was this whole study done and Coca-Cola got, I don't want to make bad names. I love Diet Coke. So, okay, Coca-Cola company don't come for me, but <laughs> they got in trouble because they were marketing on the TV to kids. And they said, no, we're not. And that's what a lot of companies do say like, oh, our fun caricatures aren't marketing to kids. Like we're just, they're just our mascot. And it's not our fault if all of the cereals that are Captain Crunch are at kid eye level and the total and the rice checks are on the top and the Cheerios are on the bottom. Like it's not our fault. It's just class. Yeah. I don't know. It just happened. So I think that that's also, that plays a big part in it. Um, but I know, I mean, I've signed like a million letters that say like that push more for the fresh frozen produce to be included in all of these meal program benefits, because yeah. that's where a lot of people are getting their things from. So we have to start there. We have to at least give them the option to get it now. I mean, of course, everybody has autonomy to choose, but if they don't even have the option, then we're kind of shortening, shorten them in that sense. Yeah, definitely. That whole, that whole, um, the whole marketing to children thing is, is a really funky concept. Uh, there's a lot of industries that deal with that. Like tobacco is a big one. And now it's getting into like this, like sugary drinks and food. We're like, so what, so like, th if we think about it, like what is the issue with marketing to children when it's, uh, you know, a pop, obviously it's bad for them. It's bad for everybody, but like, kids do people do drink pop and if that's just like part of who they market to that's kind of weird that they that they would get in trouble for that um yeah oh sorry finish no, your sentence. no there's there's some intense research and i for especially pediatric nutrition like to follow what's called the ellen satter method and it kind of creates this division of responsibility the parents get to choose what foods are on the table and when they're eating it and kids get to choose what foods they take and how much. And it really like starts to aim at this, not creating food fear. I don't know. We probably grew up where our parents put beans and chicken, mashed potatoes and grapes on our plate and said, you sit there until you finish it off. And now we're coming back and seeing a lot of these people have binge eating disorders or food fear because they couldn't leave the table until their food was gone. So this new division of responsibility where the kid marketing comes in is it crosses that barrier of division of responsibility. The parents no longer, if the kid is being marketed to and being told like they need this, if they want to play outside with Tony, the tiger and, and look happy, like all these kids, the parents, it takes that division of responsibility and gives more responsibility to the kids when they're not ready for it. Um, even though, you know, a 10 year old can make a choice of, do they want beans or corn? They can't necessarily make a choice that is Coca-Cola or water, a better choice. And so that's where we need to, the parents to guide. Um, and if the kiddos are getting marketed right to them, it's harder for the parents to fulfill their responsibility for guiding the right choices. 
but the kids still don't have money. So it's still the adults who buy it. So, yeah. And then that's the problem that is, with, yeah. We, in, the, in the responsibility we, game, like the parents are still the one to buy the thing. And you're right. It does make it like harder if your kids are like, no, I want cap. I want uh, frosted flakes because Tony looks fun. And I want to be right. like those kids. Like, but they're just kids. Like at, at some point, isn't, doesn't it just come down to like being a good parent and knowing nutritional benefits and that frosted flakes is not that. And diet Coke is not that. So there was probably still marketing when we were kids doing that. Like I know there was, there was like, you know, yeah. freaking Kool-Aid guy and, and, um, and Tony the Tiger and all these different, you know, mascots. But at the end of the day, my mom made what she made. And like we had, I, you know, grew up eating what I ate and it was pretty good stuff. Yeah. I, there's a, for sure. We missed for a while. We missed some nutrition education for a while. It got skipped over because we were thinking about other things. So now we're trying to go back and I mean, we come in waves of what's healthy and what's not 20 years ago, everything was fat free and now everything's sugar free and fat's good. So there's, we just need more education on just like quality nutrition for through the life cycle. And I think that is right. The generation who are parents now might've got somewhat missed or they grew up on some of it and it just continues on. Yeah. I, I just don't like, probably because of my bias of running a marketing agency, but I don't like when the marketing gets blamed for bad yeah. decisions by parents or children or bad w- habits by people. Like certainly hold marketing to a standard so that everything is you know, truthful and accurate and not misleading. And in certain senses, you know, not towards children because obviously it, it's wrong to market cigarettes to children, to, to people under the age of 18, right? Right. You know that. Hold to those standards. But if it's saying you know, there was like a time in like the early 2000s when like McDonald's marketing was getting just hammered because people were yeah. fat off of eating Big Macs. It's like no fucking shit you're eating. You're getting fat. Like it's not McDonald's fault that you ate a bunch of Big Macs is your right. fault. <laughs> and it's not the marketing agency's fault that that little Timmy wants a bunch of Coca-Cola and his mom bought it because she has no self-restraint because it's she's the one with the freaking with the money. Like I don't, I don't have a lot of sympathy for blaming marketing agencies for the issues of your diet. Like mm. eat, you, you have the decision. Nobody's forcing you to make the, you know, within the um, outside of like really, really low income where like the cheapest stuff is not healthy. Like I'm not talking about them, but you have your feet under you financially, you have the freedom to pick all the healthy foods. Uh, yeah. I think you bring up a good point. It's ultimately your choice and the person's choice and Sometimes we have too much faith in people to make the right choice, but that doesn't mean that other outside sources should be blamed because they didn't make the right choice. It's always going to be the person's choice on what to make. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes into this, this, I kind of go to the round two of like the same people who were blaming McDonald's, blaming marketing for, for bad diets are the ones like blaming the idea of social media for faults in our, in, in humanity. And it's really, it's the same people that don't want to have personal responsibility. Right. I, I do, I do a lot of social media. I run about four, four, four different, five different accounts. And so you'd think that I would just be so sucked in and like on my phone all the time when I'm out doing stuff and nonstop posting things and, and whatever. And like, 
being somehow mentally damaged by all the toxicity on those on the platforms. But it just comes back to like, yes, it's enticing to be on there. Yes, they're building the algorithm to make everyone stay on there. Yes, they're building the Big Mac to make you eat it. Yes, they're marketing the Diet Coke to make you drink it. But they're not forcing you to do any of it. Like they're trying to run a business, doing their thing, right? Like there's a lot of good on social media. It's really like it exposes people for who they are, not pushing people to do anything or, or not. Like if you're an asshole, you're going to do some stupid, you're going to comment some stupid shit on people's stuff, even if they're well-meaning. If you're, and if you're kind of a dirtbag, you're going to have a lot of the, um, you know, the social media, the butt influencers on your feed, because that's where you're looking at. And the, and the algorithm is trying to show you that if you're, if you're uh, a CNN guy, you're going to have a lot of like this, a lot of the liberal stuff. Like it just is reflecting you back on you. And I don't think people like to see that. Just yeah. Like, I think that just like those bad diets is reflecting your bad choices back on you in not liking your body. Right. They, people personally don't want to be the problem. They want to look for other places, yeah. but I think that's where um, dietitians or health professionals that aren't so clinically based come in in is we get to start to take that inward look and change the inward look to meet the goals. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you have weight loss or weight gain, kind of the goals that you have that you're not, that you don't want to face, we get to face them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's truly where you are. Like you're a guide, you're a guide through a lot of the noise. Cause there's just so much noise in this new fit, even fitness to a nutrition space we've talked about this in our meeting, in our meetings with, when we're doing planning for you, like you're a registered dietitian. Um, you have other certifications, you have a degree, you have all these good stuff. You did it all the right way. And you're on Instagram, but the average user doesn't have the time to research or realize that you're different from the average, like fitness health influencer who has an audience works out, records their, their workouts, you know, tells about nutrition but doesn't have any certification to back it up. And that's something we've talked about, like getting that word out that there is a difference and there is value in what you did in the path you took. Right. Yeah. People don't, they don't realize even my own family, it took them five years of me doing this to realize kind of the difference. Yeah. So it's hard to realize when you don't know, but yeah, now bringing the voice back to people that do have the experience and, and should be the ones talking is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I even get it. I get that same kind of thing with, um, dog training. Like I'm not mm -hmm. a certified dog trainer by any means. I know I'm really good with dogs. I trained Bridger is a wolf dog. I trained him from day one. Like I've read books and stuff, but he's, and he's, they're almost Bridger and Maver almost never on leash. And people see that on my Instagram they see me doing all this cool stuff with them. And I've gotten so many messages saying like, like, what are some tips on like training my dogs for recall? Like, can you train my dog? <laughs> Like I've gotten a lot of that and I'm like, I would, you know, I, I bet I could be, could do some good for them and help them, but I, I don't want to like do that for my career. And I don't, I'm not certified. Like, I don't, I feel weird giving out advice in that space, even though I know a lot about what's going on. Right. Even though you taught yourself doesn't mean you necessarily should teach others. Yeah. Yeah. I'm cause then there's all this responsibility where if like, say I did train someone's dog, help, train someone's dog and then that dog did something bad or like got hurt because of, I said, Oh yeah, they're good off leash. And then they ran away and never found like, that's a lot of responsibility, I guess, to have, yeah. 
on somebody else's dog and trusting that they will keep up on the training because it's kind of a constant thing as you know, you have a dog too. Right. Yeah. I am proud of one training for my dog. I did shake and both paws. So that's it. But I got to shout out my boyfriend who did the rest of the training and Morgan too. Um, he's a lab. He's off leash most of the time. And we get even just from our neighbors, like, how does he stay in your yard? How do you just let him out, go do something out. And he's, just hanging out like in the yard yeah. without yeah. any kind of fence or whatever. Now Morgan has had his bad, bad moments and yeah. his they puppy phase. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, um, yeah, I can only take credit for the shake. So <laughs> that training is as That's far awesome. as I went. Yeah. We get that too. We live in a little cul-de-sac and there's no fence. There's not really fences on any of the houses and another one of the other houses has a, a big, black German shepherd and a black lab. And when they get let out, they're kind of crazy and they're like running around, they go out by the road and then run around all the houses. And then what, meanwhile, Bridger and Mav are just like sitting on the front step. Like they just sit there and watch the world go by when they want to hang out outside. And I totally, except for, so we have a lot of moose in the area. So that's, that's my only fear when they're out, th- out there is that a moose will come by and it does happen. Mm-hmm. The other day I was in here working and the neighbor, a couple neighbor girls came over and said, can you, can, can the dogs come out and play? I was like, yeah, sure. Let them out. And then I see the girl, I have a big window right here. I see the girls just sprinting into their house and I'm like, oh shit, what's that? And I go out there and I call the dogs and then around this corner of my house, a moose just runs up to me, and like looks at me and is like, oh fuck. And then like books it the other way. And then I like call the dogs and it came over to me, but like that, that's, that's a, uh, a, a, a big hazard for dogs around here yeah we have nothing like that birds uh, do you have a bear are you ever nervous that they're gonna get attacked by a bear not not too much at the house but there have been sightings like we have a bear proof garbage like everybody here has a bear proof garbage can because they are around um last fall so there's this famous bear mom that lives in grand teton national park she's um she's called grizzly 399 is like her tag or whatever and she's famous because she has had the most cubs of any tracked grizzly ever. She has right now. She has four cubs with her, which is absurd. Like normally they have one, maybe two, never yeah. more than that. And she has four and she's mothered maybe like 30 cubs throughout the years, the most in recorded history. Um, so they track her and she has her own Instagram account with 10,000 followers. So whenever people see her, they, they point her out and whatever, but she, so I'm about, uh, maybe like 20 minutes from the farthest Southern point of Grand Teton national park, but maybe like 40 or 30 from where she usually hangs out. And last fall, she walked all the way from way up there down right next to my road. And like people were posting stuff of like her walking past our cul-de-sac with all four cubs. And luckily we were in Minnesota at the time. So it was all good. But like, it was just in the middle of the day, like randomly. And then she walked all the way. I'm pointing, I keep pointing in the direction. This is South all the way south, like, like maybe five more, five, 10 more miles. And then like she hung out for like a little bit and then walked all the way back up. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. It can happen. It's real wilderness out here. Like if I just walk around the neighborhood behind, behind my house, I'll any random day, I could see a moose deer, a herd of elk, um, potentially a bear, like foxes, coyotes, wolves, like there's everything here. It's the real stuff. As I looked out, I think I've seen a bunny one time in our backyard. Nice. That's about how. Are you, go- yeah. you guys moved into your new house now, right? 
Um, in Southern Minnesota. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they hunt down there, but there's nothing like that wandering around. Yeah. What's the yeah. name again? Um, it's called Winnebago. So it's South of Mankato, almost to the Iowa border. Whoa. Way down there. Yeah. And your boyfriend's was it, is it like his PA school that's, they brought you guys down there? Yeah. Yeah, so his family's from down there, but um, his PA preceptor is a doctor down at in that area. His PA program is actually through UND, so sometimes he's in Grand Forks, but other times, most times, he'll be down there. Okay, cool. Yeah, Mankato. Um, do you know who Jimmy Chin is? <laughs> no, am he's, I supposed to? Uh, maybe he he's the director and producer of Free Solo, that rock climbing. Oh movie. yes. I know what that one is. Yeah. So he lives here, but he's from Mankato and he's like, he's done other stuff. He's like, you know, one of the only guys to ever ski Everest. Like he's a big mountaineer, you know, crazy climber guy. Um, but he lives right near me here and he's from Mankato. Oh, no way. That's so there's awesome. a little Minnesota connection there. Yeah. I've seen him a couple of yeah. times around town and I want to like, I just say, Hey, but I want to shake his hand and be like, you know, we're Minnesota guys out here climbing mountains and shit. <laughs> Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So this other documentary that I wanted to bring up, it's called game changers. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen it. I know what it is though. Yeah. Um, is it that maybe not game changers? Where is this? That's the one. Yeah, it is game changers. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's the one that's like, that's like preaching the vegan lifestyle and like all these athletes, um are on it and that's why you should be a vegan but just it's just a continuation of that idea that we were talking about earlier where it's never like a mo in moderation it's always like the most extreme thing and i wanted to bring it up because they use all these like these um like research projects and athletes that they studied as like all these pushing just to be like fully vegan all this shit and then as the months went by, people like looked into this shit and they had to pull back a lot of their research and, and arguments because like some of the athletes they showcased, they would only be vegan for a little bit or they were, or they were vegan just happened to be at the time they were filming the, the documentary, but never other at any other time in their life. And they switched because they didn't like it. So they took all these like really kind of closed minded arguments and said, here's all these arguments for being vegan. You should be vegan. It's the best thing ever. You're going to be a great athlete there's a strong man. There's like a, you know, there's like a, the uh, world's strongest man guy in there, even though he's mm -hmm. not even fully vegan all the time. There's a fighter that was only vegan for that time. And now he's not. Um, there's like, they really tried to like uh, invalidate like the nutrition systems built in the NFL. They, they like came up with this thing where it's like everyone in the NFL only thinks you need protein for energy. And it's like, nobody, nobody, know, nobody thinks that like everyone knows <laughs> The proteins is for like muscle recovery and all this stuff. But that's another one that you should watch just to look at like they're, they're pushing more of that extreme nature. Yeah. I tend, I started it, but sometimes they just drive me so insane. I know that it's good to watch things that you make you uncomfortable, but I also, I mean, if you look into who funded the whole project, it's like, of course, a whole vegan company. Yeah. And all this stuff and so but it also 
there's a lot, I mean, I brought it up with milk, probably bring it up again. There's a lot that I do about reversing the food fear that people have for any reason and things like that just create more food fear. Of course, we should, you know, be conscious of where our products are coming from. But like you said, it can't be all or nothing or you can't ask a family who can't afford plant-based meats to, to watch this and be basically scared into eating food that's available to them and, and chicken and, and fish. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm all for more vegetables and making half your plant plate, um, plant-based and plant forward eating, meaning including more greens and lentils and beans and things like that. But to make this whole push to promote fear, basically it is a hard sell for me. Yeah, definitely. It's like, uh, Dang it, I had a point I was going to say, but I lost it by the start of the sentence. Um, <laughs> dang it. Um, oh, crap, it's gone. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's <all> gone. <laughs> that's a very good point. Um, have you ever gotten into, like, do you ever deal with any, uh, like, ch ch uh, kids as clients or anything, like, help working with them? I would say I stop around the middle school age. Pediatrics is such a specialized situation um, that I don't have a lot of experience or training yet in pediatrics. So around that middle school age, I'll pick them up if, if need be, but below that, not yet. Yeah. Is, is, uh, what, what are the differences between like having like a middle schooler versus having like uh, a 20 somethings versus having like a, you know, 40 somethings? Yeah, that's a great question. The middle schooler, they're very Im impressionable. Obviously, that that's like their prime mm. age for growing and developing for everything. So getting them to develop better food habits that will carry them through their adulthood or making sure that you address some of the, the cultural things that could hinder that. Um, unfortunately, that's where in a lot of eating disorders develop is that yeah. 14 to 16 age. So that's like your primary focus then really conscious and careful conversations around food and fueling your body. When you get into like the 20, 21 year old, you're really starting to number one, correct the choices that were made in your high school years. If there was any disordered eating habits or things like that. And then you're really looking forward to the future. Like now is the time to start taking over your health so that when you're 40, 50, 60, you don't have to have all these complications down the road. So let's start establish some good habits. Also in this age range, they really start to obviously include alcohol. And mm -hmm. so starting to really have that conversation of what's healthy for your body with alcohol, how to, how to help you, you know, drink alcohol responsibly, but yet still fun and not do this whole, a lot of um, speaking more for, for females, but for sure males could fall into the category as well. Like the, I'm not going to eat. I'm only going to eat breakfast when I drink. Number one, I'll get drunk faster. It'll be cheaper. Number two, I can drink my calories. And number three, I won't be in a surplus of calories. Therefore I'll stay skinny or, or whatever. And so starting to address that, um, alcohol in moderation and, and how to fuel your body while drinking. And then when you're 40, 50, that's when you're really looking at, somewhat of secondary health prevention. So they already have high blood pressure. They already have 
a little bit elevated blood glucose, but what can we do now to scale that back so they don't have to be on so many medications or they don't, you know, take their prediabetes and launch it into full on diabetes where they need insulin? Can we, because prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, the, the prescription is diet and exercise, really. I mean, we have medications that will help, but they want you to do that first. And so, around those ages, they're really starting to find those clinical factors that make them come talk to me. And that's what we're really dealing with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what do you think is the most common age range for the people that you've worked with? Uh, 25 to 55. That's a big range. It is a big range. Um, and essentially a lot of it deals with the same somewhat thing. So I always say that I'm a general health dietitian that specializes in meeting clients needs for their goals. Most of that goal come with weight loss. I wouldn't say I'm a weight loss dietitian because I deal with that mental side of relationship with food. But while dealing with that relationship with food, a lot of times we address some things that can really help them meet the goals of weight loss Mm -hmm. if they have that. Um, and that's whether it's 25 and they're looking to get healthier and lose some weight for their thirties, forties, fifties, or they're 50 and they're looking to help, um, improve some of your clinical markers that can be done with weight loss as well. So a lot of that kind of, they kind of fall into a general category and then it's case by case, obviously of what you need to do for treatment. Yeah. It's been funny for me to see, so I'm 27 and you know, been out of high school for however many years that is nine, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. but people like on Facebook, I'll see that I went to high school with and college with. And it's like, it's like, it's, uh, it's almost like a, a step in the light in your life cycle is like, you get around 30 and you get fat. Like I've seen so many people I went to high school with and Alex and I joke about it. It's like, I'll be on Facebook, like, Oh, ha, look at this. Like so-and-so blew up finally. Like, it's, I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a bad person for laughing at it, but it's like, <laughs> it's so, it's so interesting to me. Like these people who I played sports with and like, so they know how to work out. They have a decent relationship or had a decent relationship with food. They go through college, you start to drink, you drink more and you know, you get out of athletics and you get out of like being active all the time and you're working all the time and that all. And most of that is, you know, sitting down. And it's like right around 30, everyone just starts to get a little bit bigger. And it's really interesting to me to see how that happens like over and over again, even though we know they, they know we're used to know how to not be fat. Yeah. Part of it. I mean, a lot of it is how your metabolism works. We, it, I mean, it happens a lot too with women in, in the menopause age, all of a sudden your body switches from, I need to grow to, I need to survive. Like you hit 30. And you're like, I'm pretty much done. I mean, like your body's done growing. Your, your brain is done developing. So it's like, all right, we can slow it down. Let's take a moment. Let's relax. Your metabolism is, is not so focused on growing and metabolizing for energy and more just like storage, just in case, because we still, we came from a place where we had to hunt and gather for food, just in case we don't make it we don't find any food this winter. We'll have a lot of storage. And so, mm-hmm. but so somewhat of, of it is actually science. And then a lot of it is the lifestyle. You drink more food becomes food is social. So I know in yeah. the last year in the pandemic, we weren't going out to eat, but food and drink. I mean, that's how you have fun 
when you're not working. And then when you are working, like you said, you're sitting. So you went from walking to class or at least walking around the halls of high school to Mm -hmm. sitting for eight hours a day, driving home or walking to your couch if you're working from home, eating and sitting more. Mm -hmm. And that right there is ticket number one. Yeah. I'm trying to find, I'll I'll mention it a little bit. Um, uh, Oh yeah, here it is. I've I've been really scatterbrained today. I don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) I get a lot of like people like giving, kind of ribbing me, giving me shit because I'm so thin and I don't really, I I, I go to the gym a lot now, but I don't really like have to, to keep a healthy weight. Like I kind of just live it this way, but they're always like, how, like I've, I've been asked plenty of times too, like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like, like everything I do, if I'm not working is active, it's doing something like I'm at the very minimum, I'm walking like two miles with the dogs around a neighborhood. And like, that's the very minimum. And that's a lot more than a lot of people do in a work time and not in, you know, I'm fortunate to work from home. So I don't have to drive anywhere and there's time in the day and freedom and all that stuff. But then a lot of days, like I'm playing, walking 18 holes of golf, which I just tracked my last round. I walked eight and a half miles during that so like that's incredible. that's yeah and that's the number one reason i don't play golf yeah Yeah. or i'm like you know mountain biking so i'm pedaling up a mountain or walking or hiking up a mountain like and i'm blessed to have the mountains where they are but even when i lived in minnesota like i was still doing the golf i was still hiking i was still biking a lot so it just it's just like i get so bored i'm so like my i go a little i get a little weird if i don't get like a lift or a walk or a bike ride in, in a day. Like, I just like, I can't focus. I just feel like such a bum. And, and for some reason that's like, people don't really think about activity in that way where it's just, it's my whole life. It's all of my hobbies are being active. And I don't think that's the people that struggle with weight over their whole lifetime. Don't have that. I don't think. Yeah, there's for sure. Uh, for sure aspect of that and a hundred percent especially when you find when you see people with weight gain that's a piece of the puzzle and then now I mean our obesity epidemic has been going on for a number of years we're starting to see genetic changes so there's this new kind of push it's called obesity medicine and it's starting to see how if just like in social economic sectors, where your parents are is is somewhat where you're going to reproduce at. That's the same for obesity. So if we've had now these generations of, of people or families who've had these gene, these, this obesity, it's starting to reproduce in those genes. And just like in a cardiovascular setting, you, if you have high cholesterol from your, it normally gets passed down from your paternal side. Mm -hmm. There's, unfortunately, we can only do so much to change that the obesity medicine now is trying to look at how do we get these genes somewhat changed and your genomics back on track. So you don't have these genes coming in that are already different and function and insulin sensitivity and all this stuff from birth. So you are more set up for success or success in, in a way that you aren't always fighting that uphill battle. And I think that's something that in the next 10 years, medicine is going to have to address or else it's going to spiral downward because for now, now we are producing a generation where even if they grow up somewhat active, we can't reverse everything that's been done in the past. It's crazy to look at genomics and seeing like 
I read a study once where your, your grandma on your mom's side, her gut health is what your gut health is. So it skips a generation. Whoa. So if your grandma, that's nuts. and that think of our, what our grandparents were eating, they lived through the depression. They were li- living through something way different. Yeah. And then like my mom is going to have a handle on my child's health. Like, so things like that are starting to get studied and that's hopefully where we take this next five year step into like a healthier America, a healthier world, because we're starting to understand that like this, we have to start to change it on a gene level. Um, and that starts with our generations changing our lifestyles right now, even if you can't lose, you know, a hundred pounds, but you are starting to, you get up from your chair and you're walking 20 minutes a day. That overall is going to help your whole family um, in the future set up for success rather than continuing a lifestyle of, of basically a sedentary lifestyle. That's blown my mind. This whole, this whole hereditary thing you just said. So like, so say like you took me, for example, like I said, I'm just naturally kind of hang out at a, at a good, healthy weight. I don't really have to do a lot. I've been blessed with that. And then let's just say I took a turn for the worse and just got really big, really unhealthy, all that stuff. Even though my genes are fairly healthy, good metabolism, you know, could produce, you know, if my son could produce something like this, similar to this body, if I got really bad and then had a kid that that some could somehow pass on in his, in a, my child's genes. Yeah. So as your, as your genomics are changing, there's three factors, familial, environmental, and then like what you do to your body. Yeah. If you, I mean, say that you, you start to gain a little bit of weight, you start to have insulin sensitivity. Now your insulin receptors aren't working so well. Your genes are changing because of that. That could very easily be passed on to your kiddo. And something we see that's why gestational diabetes is something that we need to have more because if the mother has gestational diabetes, the kiddo is basically, there's good research that it says that there's a good chance it's going to be born with insulin sensitivity right away. That means that they're going to be at higher risk for prediabetes, higher risk for type two diabetes, type two diabetes is very much associated with weight gain and, um, metabolic syndrome. So fat around your organs, which is very much associated with cardiovascular disease. So now that kiddo, even though they are, they didn't do anything from birth, their genes are already set up already somewhat behind what a normal or healthier baby. And there's things that you can help in reverse, but it's those people who aren't really realizing that how you set your family up. If, if they don't take that kiddo right away from, I mean, like going back to the pop example, insulin sensitivity, their kiddos drink in pop almost every night or, or not just on special occasions. That's already, you're, they're three years old or five years old whenever you, I don't know anything about kids, but whenever <laughs> you start to give your kid pop, I guess maybe not three years old. Yeah. Um, they're already at a downfall because they can't, so yeah, it is crazy. What we're learning about genomics um, is insane. And it's just in the past like 10 years. And we're going to, the whole medical field is going to get advanced once we can figure out some of these other things that aren't so what you do as a 20 year old, it's what you're doing as a 20 year old to set your kid up for success. And that's where primary health prevention needs to come in mm-hmm. and 
and we need to say things about that. Yeah, definitely. I get so sad when I see like, you know, like a five-year-old who's just like truly obese for a five-year-old because because it's, it's not the same as like a 30 year old being fat because the 30 year old buys their own shit and eat, you know, feeds themselves. The, the five year old, their parents are buying the bad things and their parents are making their meals. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, how do you not as a, like, as a parent, how do you not see what your kid is looking like and want to do something different like that? I, I in general, I'm not a very uh, sympathetic dude, but that, that I get sad when I see that. I'm like, man, that because he's he's gonna have to work so hard to 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 sustain a healthy lifestyle and healthy weight if he's fat at five. That sucks. Right. And that's hopefully now where we can start to start to build a better healthcare system to address that more at the source rather than letting it get so far away um yeah. and and go like that. And then over like yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, switching topics here. I've got a concept for you. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, um, but I, I, I learned it on a podcast. This guy, Mark Sisson is his name. He's like written books about nutrition and a healthy lifestyle and all this stuff. But he was talking about this concept called um, metabolic flexibility, I think is what he called it. And um what it is, is uh, creating a lifestyle and a diet so that your body is, can, uh, is flexible in where it gets its energy from. Um, and it kind of pulls in the keto, like the keto uh, lifestyle into it a little bit so that if you can, you know, get your body to develop ketones and use your fat stores as an energy source, you don't need to fully stay there all the time, but once your body learns how to use them as, as an energy source, it can pull from your fat stores or from, um, and tell me if, when, I, if I butcher any of these terms, pull mm -hmm. from like glucose that you would eat in like carbs or something as an energy source where like, if you don't have one, it, it can, it can consume the other or then vice versa. Have you heard of this concept before? I, well, I've never heard it called metabolic flexibility but i i know what you're talking about um i think that i'm i'm just looking it up here quick mm -hmm. um yeah he was saying it, it kind of he kind of has this um a lot of his books are called like primal this primal that back to a time when we were hunter gatherers where it was like you know if we had some grain or some vegetables or fruit or whatever around and we ate that, we would get the energy source from those carbs. And that was great. But then there was also some times where we didn't have a lot to eat. So then our bodies would eat our fat stores and it didn't, it didn't necessarily prefer one or the other. And that's the flexibility where it can do both and it's valuable and you don't need to be fully keto. Cause you know, there's not, we're not, I don't think, I don't think the world's sure if that's the way to go right now uh, yet, but you can, you can be there you, or you can also be like having, you know, carbs in your diet, grain in your diet, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that a lot of, I'm not sure the guy's name that you brought up, but we like to take things that we already know and put fancy words to them. So like intermittent <laughs> fasting, we yeah. just got really creative and skipped breakfast or stopped eating after. Or eat a later but breakfast. <laughs> 
eat a later breakfast, I, right? I laugh when people say, yeah, I'm really an intermittent fasting. And then someone's like, okay, oh, how, how long do you go? And they're like, oh, I just like eat dinner and then I'll eat breakfast at like 10. It's like, what? Like you're asleep for like eight of those hours. Like what? Yeah. It's like 13 hours that you're, that you're fast fasting and you're asleep for eight of them. Like that's not, what is that doing? That's just, you didn't have a chance to eat breakfast early that day. <laughs> that's so right. silly. Yeah. So this is like something that because we've had such a constant supply of food, we're lucky mm-hmm. in the sense that um, most of us have food security, at least to some degree. And we don't have to rely on hunting and gathering our food. So because of that constant supply, like I'm hungry right now, right after we hang up, I'm probably going to get a snack. Mm-hmm. My body is doesn't have to use any stored anything because it's telling me that I'm already hungry. So I'm going to get it. Then it'll use that for energy um, and everything like that. But there, there is some truth to number one, to not, we're not designed to eat constantly every day. Breakfast is literally a break from a fast. We're naturally supposed to be fasting. That's Mm -hmm. when we're sleeping normally. But if as sleep has gotten from 10 hours to eight hours to six hours down, people sleep like four hours, four hours is what you take between lunch and dinner. That's not enough for your metabolism to, to really like reset. That's when your deep sleep is when your hormones reset, your metabolism resets, I quote resets because it's really your hormones resetting your metabolism. So as we've taken this break during that time that you're fasting, AKA sleeping, you're really not using things that you're eating for your energy. You're tapping into your fat stores for your energy. You're creating ketones. So your brain still has energy, things like that. But because food has gotten so at the instant gratification, we forgot that our body knows how to do that. Or we didn't forget, but we don't have to do it so much anymore, which is part of the reason that some of these diseases have come out. So it's very natural for your body to, to not always have a carb source for energy, or have to tap into your muscle or liver glycogen to create glucose. I mean, there's, that's why I took a whole undergrad class to learn that cycle, you know? (laughs) Um, and so I think it's, it's very natural. It could, I'm looking at a study here um, on PubMed, just quick Google search brought me up, but they're citing sources from like 1985, 1963, um, all these things. So this is not a, n- a new concept by any means. We're just reintroducing it to the media basically and letting them know that like, hey, our bodies are designed to run on more than just the food we eat. Um, and then sometimes a good thing to let yeah. it, rest and relax. I mean, rest and digest. We need that time. So let's not always eat. And I, I, I do a lot with hunger and fullness cues, but I also do a lot with coaching. Like if you are hungry an hour after you ate, you didn't eat enough. We need to be able to go longer than one hour without eating. And I need to remind myself that as well, that me snacking on little bits here and little bits there isn't necessarily the best way to be eating. Now, I don't necessarily agree with like one big meal and then a 16 hour fast, but we have to be able to let our body actually digest the glucose, store the glucose, and then use some of it for energy rather than just like keeping a glucose 
thing tube down our mouth and being like, oh, here, you don't have to do anything. No work. I'll just give it to you right now. It's yeah. normal for our body to work and to keep your metabolic health and metabolic fun function going. You got to let it work. So without really knowing a ton about the topic or about the guy who who's been putting it out there, I think that it's something that we've forgotten about as a healthy society that our bodies can run on more than just the snack bars we eat in the middle of the day. More than just your last meal. Yeah. Yeah. What was that term you said? um, Hunger. um, Yep. Your hunger cues. So this is like, it's normally on a scale of one to 10, but number one is like, you haven't eaten in, in three days and you're at your wit's end. We never almost get to number one. We normally say around like a three, like where I am now, like you start to feel it in your stomach, maybe start to get a headache. People sometimes call this like the hangry mode. You're a little bit more agitated. Taylor um, is major, gets majorly <laughs> hangry. And there's times where we're like arguing and I'm like, honey, are you just hungry? Yeah. I think you just need to eat. Um, yeah. So that, and then and then there's on the other side, your fullness scale. So right now, this is, if I was like going after myself, I probably could make it till for another hour or so without eating before I was like, oh, I can't focus on anything anymore. I just need to eat. But I'm starting to notice that I'm starting to get hungry. Um, and then on the other side, it's like that fullness cue. So 10, 9, 10 is like Thanksgiving. Like you are like, but not unbutting your pants, feeling so sick, like yeah. so like sick from eating. You All you need to do is, rest that's not where we want to be where our never our goal for a hung like getting full is never to feel stuffed and uncomfortable we really want to sit at like a six or a seven where you're like i'm adequately satisfied i can go up about my day for another four or five hours without having to eat i have energy my brain feels good and then we want to sit around that five ish mark like in in the times where you're not eating just that satisfied feeling you're not hungry but you're not full Sometimes we tend to override our hunger cues because we haven't needed to listen to them for so long. So an example is um, like diet culture. If I was trying to skip lunch or eat less meals a day, I would take this hunger cue and shove it somewhere else. Like I'm not hungry. I'm just thirsty. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, we have things now that we've identified as like binge eating disorder where you can't stop at that six, you have to feel your sickness at like a level 10. And that's a medical condition as well. So that's where I'm really trying to coach people and like, let's listen to our bodies again. And then a little bit of an intuitive eating concept of, okay, I know I'm hungry, but what do I want? Now I have basically no food in the house. So I have no idea what I'm going to eat. But a lot of times, like, I will say like, well, I know I want I like peanut butter. So a lot of times I'm like peanut butter, I put peanut butter in my oatmeal, I put peanut butter on sandwiches, um, and starting to listen to like, okay, what might satisfy what's hungry. And where this comes into play is when people try to not eat sweets, like, oh, I'm a sweets after dinner person, I've identified this, and I do it where I have like two dark chocolate squares, and that satisfies me. But the longer I would suppress like I want chocolate, all of a sudden, that was a pint of ice cream deep. And so if we can just honor that hunger cue of wanting a little bit of chocolate, I mean, I keep a bag of, um, what are they called? Chocolate chips, like one little, I don't know, they're probably eight chocolate chips, eat them, leave the kitchen, that's satisfied. Mm -hmm. So 
work on that with clients of giving the power back to yourself and the power back to food so that you don't have food on this pedestal. Like I know I shouldn't eat this. I know I shouldn't eat this chocolate. So I'm going to stare at the fridge. And I'm going to eat carrots and then I'm going to eat cucumber. And then I kind of want some cheese, but now I've eaten basically a whole nother meal and I'm still hungry mm-hmm. because you haven't really satisfied. So it does take a little bit of work to get to that point, but starting noticing your hunger and fullness cues is, is something that's important because we've so often over override them. I mean, think of when you were in school lunch and it was like 1030 and lunch wasn't till 12 and you're like, I have another hour and a half. I have to focus until I can eat. And that whole time you were suppressing that hunger cue. So we were just kind of, I don't know, inherently designed to suppress our hunger cues until we got a little bit older. Yeah, definitely. That I had a tough time with that in like middle school because I was growing so freaking much. I'm six yeah. five. So like through puberty, <laughs> I grew like nine inches in a year. And so I was just always hungry. And I'm like, I can't like, even if I ate a good breakfast, I'm not lasting till lunch. And then I'm not lasting till dinner. I just needed more. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, so useless right before lunch. Um, but I brought that hunger cues thing because there's something I think I, I don't know if I read something or heard it somewhere, whatever. Um, but something that I experience when I do like big hikes or big bike rides, like big stuff out here, you know, like I'll eat something normal. Like I really like just two slices of peanut butter toast is like my really, my big thing for like a big activity. Cause it's gives me enough carbs, a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat. And it's not too heavy to where I'm feeling like weighed down or like sick when mm-hmm. I start to get going. Um, or PB and J is great too, but I do that. So, and, and then I get going and like 20, 30 minutes in, I feel a little bit of that one of those, some of those hunger cues and I was reading that, um, and now again, tell me if this is bullshit because you know I'm not a, I'm not a dietitian. You are um, that when there when your body experiences dips in blood sugar, and in that situation, mm-hmm. it's because I started you know uh, my metabolism started up, and I started using those sugar stores that I had from eating the thing or whatever um, to power me in my my activity when that blood sugar drops, then your body starts to say like, Hey, we might need some more nutrients. Like, can you, you know, and then here's a hunger cue. Um, have you, have you read anything like that? Yeah, there, it definitely is ties. And I've read more about like the 2 PM crash of why everybody seems like to crash at that point, because it's our lunch food is, we've used our lunch food for our energy. Now we're starting to dip into those stores. We can dip in those stores, but we might, um, but that we need to then replenish those stores. Cause once you use your, I mean, the glycogen stores can only last you, you know, half of a day, not, mm-hmm. not long at all. Yeah. So once you start to use them, your body's like, Hey, we kind of need more cause we're using them. So there is some truth to that, that once you start and then in, exercise, you're able to uptake glucose so much faster because it brings more receptors to your muscles, um, which is why diet and exercise is really great for type two diabetes because it helps with that glucose transport. Um, So there is some truth to that. And a lot of people, some you just like get used to like, right when I start exercise, I'm hungry. And then some people, that's when they use intra carbohydrates. So popular is like substances like glucose tablets from GNC or whatever. But what works well is like a banana, quick stores of energy, quick simp or like sugars. People use like 
stupid sour straws, like nothing against sour straws, but like we could choose like a banana or, or something a little bit I, healthier. I than- brought, <laughs> I brought gummy bears up when I climb when I've climbed things. Yeah. I, I climbed the middle Teton twice last summer. And that was one of the events that, that made me think of this story. It was like, I got started hiking and it was like 30 minutes in, I'm starting to feel a pit in my stomach from like a hunger cue. And I'm like, if I'm hungry now, I'm going to have some, there's going to be some fucking problems. Cause I have like <laughs> 12 hours to go, <laughs> you know? So, right. so there I was like, okay, like if this doesn't go away, we got some problems. But then it kind of just went away when it was like, my, I don't know, maybe if I, my, maybe it is just, maybe it was suppressing the cue or maybe it was my body just being like, okay, we're not going to get any glucose immediately. Let's go to something, another energy source if we're really needing it. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you know, I kept myself, you know, at a good level where I was eating sandwiches and popping those gummy bears when I needed like a little pick me up and it was fine. Yep. Like it wasn't, that's what makes me, makes me think I wasn't actually hungry. It was just like, we need some, we need like a touch of, of energy or something. Yeah. When we go through education on hunger cues, there is something called like association hunger. Like, I don't know if you, anybody has this, but you eat breakfast in the morning and then you get to work and you're like, I'm hungry already. Well, somehow you made this association cue of like at work food comes or something like that. And, Mm. and so you do navigate, I actually, I should have pulled it up to show it, but there is a difference between hunger cues and I feel like I forget what they call it. Um, but things that happen like hunger cues, but aren't actually hunger cues. And one of the things is like, it comes on suddenly and it's for a specific food or it comes on suddenly and then, um, it, it doesn't, or, and it leaves after 10 minutes. Like those are some things like that we start to are like phantom hunger cues. Whereas hunger cues is like, it comes on gradually. Like I said, like mine's probably been like over the last 20 minutes, I've been starting to feel more hungry. I'm ready for a full meal. So so wrap this up, Tyler is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm starving. No, Um, I'm hungry for a full meal. So I want something that's more than just like the Tostitos lime chips. And then um, other factors is that I'll be full after sometimes phantom hunger cues, you're not full after. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit of navigation, but yeah, it, it, it definitely, um, there's a little bit there where some of it's true. And then some of it's like your body's trying to fake you out Yeah, by thinking that you're hungry when you're really not. I definitely get some of those association things when I go to rest, uh, bars, that I love the food at, even if I'm, if, even if I ate dinner and I'm just going to like have a couple of drinks with, with some guys, it'll be like, you know, you see the plate going by that you really like that meal and you're like, Oh, maybe I am hungry for that. And when you're really, maybe yeah. probably not, but your body's just saying, we know it, we know that tastes good. We like that. So let's, let's give some cues to make him want to want to order that. Right. Right. It, it happens to me every Tuesday. I work at any time that's right across the street from Urbits and Gerberts. And yesterday I ate, minutes before I walked out the door like I ate a full snack minutes before I walked out the door driving there takes me five minutes when I pulled in the parking lot I was hungry because I'd like know that Herbert's and Gerber's is right there and that's what I get for dinner most Tuesdays because I'm so busy that that it works out um and I did get Herbert's and Gerber's but not for like another three and a half hours like once I got there and started to do work I wasn't hungry but driving there I was like, oh, I'm already hungry again. But it was all because I just know that Herbert's and Gerber's is right there and I get to eat it on Tuesday nights. Yeah, definitely. 
that uh, what you said about like the cravings things and when it's like a specific thing, maybe think of like pregnancy cravings for women. Um, couple questions on that. Why are, is it random, random combinations of foods like where they're like, I want ice cream and pickle juice is kind of like the joke, you know, the joke one. And is it kind of like a pseudo craving or nutritional desire of the baby coming through to the mom? I don't exactly know the answer, but I do know that it is related to, well, somewhat related to hormones. Your hormones are all over the place and specifically growing a baby, but there's certain things that your body needs to help grow the baby that yeah, build a human yeah will necessarily it won't say like i want pickle juice but it'll go it'll know that it needs more sodium yeah and all of a sudden you're like hmm, i could go for something salty and then hmm, like pickle i don't know i don't know why the weird weird foods come out but i know that there's some connection like we need more vitamin c for yeah. something Okay. The, the adult brain says, what's, you know, what's, what is vitamin C that I know? And it's like, you know, orange. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. So the specific foods and the weird food combinations, I don't really know, but I know that there's some factor to that, that some of the, the nutrients that are actually in the foods that you're eating are wanted for some reason. And that's why yeah. you'll randomly crave something. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think when you, when you, have a healthy relationship with food, your body, like listen to what your body's trying to tell you to eat because it's saying, like you just said, I don't have uh, away from the pregnant people now, pregnant women, women now it's saying like, Oh, I need something salty because like, maybe like we need, we do need salt. We need like, would that be like, if you're low on electrolytes, would your body say like eat something salty? Yeah. We're going to go on a field trip to get my phone charger while we talk, but yes. Okay. Um, Exactly you, you need potassium. Okay. What do I know that has potassium in it? I like, I guess bananas. So yeah. all of a sudden you're kind of like, I kind of want a banana. And then there's for sure things like that, that come on. Um, and once you have a good relationship with food, you can start to identify and know how that's working. If you are really out of touch with your, your food cues, it can be very confusing and when you start to get in touch with your food cues, people are always like, well, if I just listen to my body, my body's just going to tell me to eat ice cream all day. And yeah. for a second, yes. But the moment that you kind of give it, yourself an opportunity to learn about it, it's quicker than you think. I mean, haven't you ever had a weekend where you, it was full of, I don't know, um, French fries and pizza and you come back on Monday and you're like, I just want healthy food. Like eventually yeah. you're going to flip and then there's going to be this nice balance between having your fun food and having the food that fuels as well. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You have to get to the point where you are, you have somewhat of a healthy balance. Definitely. Yeah. Julia has been blowing us up here as we've been chatting. I know. Wait, I got to get, get her on here. Things. I want to I have her on just to talk about like, uh, yeah i think he has like a vendetta against the um garbage people those motherfuckers 
<laughs> uh, nice. Um, we can wrap it up. We, we've been with this. We're almost at an hour and a half. Um, I think it's plenty of time. Um, is there anything else you want to say to the nice people out there about any final parting notes about diet nutrition? Oh, I feel like there's a whole 30 minutes of what I want to say, but um, if there's a, a lot of information out there, a lot of people like to say things that worked for them and not necessarily that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. Part of the thing about being a registered dietitian is that we are based in science, not based in Instagram Academy. Um, <laughs> Morgan wants to say hi to. And Morgan. so even if you find somebody that gives you information, just be mindful that it could work for them, but it might not work for you. And that's okay. There's a bunch of different yeah. things that work for people and finding what works for you. That could be one of the benefits of working with a registered dietitian or a health professional is finding what works for you. But in the sense that you have to do your own research and be your own advocate that applies to, to nutrition as well. So just like you do it at your primary care and your doctor's office, take that to your nutrition life and start small. Even if your goal this week is to add veggies to your dinner meal, that's a great goal. That's one step into leading a healthier life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, I found it's way more important to find what works for me than it is to try to fit into any of these fad diets that come out because they come out every freaking six months. You know, it's like yeah. one day it's vegan, one day it's carnivore, next day it's keto, next day it's don't eat at all, then next day it's intermittent fasting. You know, like you'll never, you're never going to get anywhere good for yourself if you're just following these trendy diets that pop up out of nowhere um, because somebody's trying to sell a program or something like that, right? Like you got to find what it is, what you, what it is that you really like. And I personally, you know, like a lot of protein, I like a lot of good fat, like healthy fats, um, lower carbs, but not no carbs. Right. It's just kind of a good moderation of like, you know, I'm trying to build muscle for myself. So I need protein, but I also need energy. So because I freaking climb mountains all the time. So I need carbs and all that stuff. Like you got to have all the stuff you got to find it for yourself. Um, another, another little theory that that is probably wrong, but I asked the last nutritionist that I had on here what she thought about it. So I'll ask you. Um, so our, our bodies and our digestive systems have been the way they are for like, you know, thousands of years, right? Yes. Yeah. And, um, I was, I was kind of working on this idea where it's like, okay, so my lineage comes from, I'm (laughs) Irish, German, and, and Norwegian. So would it, could it make sense that things that my ancestors there would have eaten work well for me where something from a place that my ancestor didn't come from wouldn't sit as well with, with me, with my body. And she, she is for those listening, she is, she's muted yelling at Morgan. He's barking. He's not quitting. It's okay. Emma, if you can still hear me, if I'm in your headphones, we're, we've had plenty of had, uh, dog pauses in the, po- in the program. Okay. There's uh, two walkers now that he's trying to communicate with, but yeah. So there is some truth going back to even the genomics and your lineage for your grandma, affecting your gut health, like uh, things like that. We are all, we're all 10% away from each other, but we're all a hundred percent away from each other as far as 
what's going on in your own body. And so foods that work for people, like take spicy foods. If you didn't grow up with spicy foods, you think ketchup is spicy. If you grew up with spice foods, you think that the spiciest foods are the best foods. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Things that your family, your history, obviously things change, but we are all going to be connected, especially down your family line. Um, and that can be very telling as far as your health outcomes. And there's a reason when you go to the doctor, you fill out this whole survey about what your mom's health is, what your dad's health is, what your grandma's health is. Mm-hmm. That's because we're, we're learning more and more that our history is affecting who we are today. Yeah. Have you, could we, if we have a moment, let's, um, the, uh, the, the origins of why certain regions have spicier foods than other regions. Have you heard this? Do you know this stuff? I, I did. I took a food and culture class. Um, so a little bit, but it's been three years since I've really looked into all of that. Yeah. So in general, like from a, from a 10,000 foot level. So in general, there's more bacteria growth and bad things in warmer climates because it can grow there. It's warm, it's humid, all that stuff around the equator. So way back when they would use these spices to cleanse the food of the bacteria that was there because there's so much more of it. So that's why you find spicier food closer to the equator. Um, whereas in northern colder climates, there is not as much bacteria growth. So they didn't need to do that as much. So they would just like salt things, you know, that's why like uh, great uh, food from like England is like not that flavorful because they didn't have a lot of bacteria. If like, you know, Swedish and like uh, Norwegian food is like not known as being very good or very spicy. Mm-hmm. It's because they yeah. did all those different spices and flavorings because they didn't, they were like, most of it was safe to eat. Like they pull a fish out of a, tra- out of a, out of a river and they just ate it and it was fine. We're like around that totally makes sense. the Amazon and Africa they had a lot of stuff growing there, a lot of bacteria growing there. So they'd have to spice it up to, to make sure they didn't, you know, die or something. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that is interesting, but it just kind of shows you how, yeah. why that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's, it was like way more, way, a way better reason than just like the people near the equator liked spiciness and the yeah. people <laughs> yeah. not near it didn't like, you know, it was a real reason. <laughs> There is a legit reason. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, have, let's wrap this up. Um, tell everybody where they could find you on social media and your website or anywhere else you'd like them to go. Yeah. So on Instagram, you can find me at back to like the number two basic nutrition. Same Facebook is back to basic nutrition LLC. Um, and then my website is www.backtobasicnutrition.com. Yes. And everyone, please flood the Instagram because Real yes. Marketing is running it right now. So if we flood it and you guys up the, up the likes and the views and everything, then that makes Alex and I's job and Julia's job easier. And then Emma, like, mm-hmm. Emma likes us and then we continue to work for her. Yeah. It's a win, win, win. Yes. As everybody the wins. If you have any questions about nutrition, you message me or message Emma or whatever, and we'll get it connected and we'll get it going. Um, Emma, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I think that's it. I think that's an episode. Everyone have a good week and eat some, eat some healthy shit, eat some green shit, and then go on a walk. I love it. Amen. All right. See you guys. See ya.